0: xbox on welcome to xbox on a podcast with one host about one console xbox i'm said host jesse Derosa, rosa and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest xbox news for the week of march 17 2022 including things aren't looking so hot over at xbox own team the initiative xbox is playing an e3 replacement event for this summer first party games scored better on xbox than all other platforms in 2021 and more Feels like I'm actually recording early this week because Daylight Savings Time has tricked me. The sun is out, the children are playing on the playground. I'm not some creepy, like, pedophile or anything. I just, my apartment just looks out over the playground. There are children always laughing and running around when I'm trying to record. Anyway, guys, I'm actually recording 30 minutes late today. That is the trick of Daylight Savings. Of course, we all know uh, Republicans instituted Daylight Savings in the early 2000s as a way to trick liberals into thinking... That they were getting more time out of their day because, as we all know, liberals are just a bunch of lazy, no-good, sleeping-in type, uh, ineffective, useless scum who need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, regardless of the fact that the overwhelming majority of people don't even wear boots. Guys, please check out my Amazon wish list where you can see all the boots I'm looking to buy. Anyway, welcome to episode 145 of the Xbox On Podcast. Now, if you're sensitive to political conversations... Shut the fuck up, it was a really bad joke. Just because it wasn't funny doesn't mean it wasn't a joke. And uh, let's talk about some Xbox. So, hey, 145 weeks in, so what What? does what Papa Spencer, all the, the various uh, tendrils of the Xbox community and ecosystem and in the various media outlets have for us this week that we can sink our teeth into and bitch and moan about and poorly analyze and talk all about. And also, what kind of bullshit can we get into? You guys want to know what's going on with the Taco Bell menu? You want to know what games I've been playing this past week? Well, hang on. We'll get into all that. So let's open the podcast this week with a couple of uh, stories of mild amusement, some corrections, updates, things of that nature, as we always do each and every week. This week, we're opening up with one that It's a little bittersweet. It's sweet in that I'm excited for this. Bitter in that this information isn't going to come out until tomorrow, so it's not going to be really relevant for us uh, for another week. But anyway, Hogwarts Legacy, highly anticipated game. People are very hyped about very very skeptical about it in some ways a little bit of controversy surrounding the game you might even say because of a couple of figures involved with 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 the product but guys we're finally getting some kind of presentation deep dive heavy load of information regarding this game but it's believe it or not not going to be directly from the publisher, but rather by by PlayStation. So PlayStation is holding a State of Play presentation this Thursday, March 17th, which is the day this show goes live. For those uninitiated, for those who don't know because you're not PlayStation fans, uh, State of Play is basically PlayStation's version of like Nintendo Direct or like Xbox. I don't even know what a, Xbox has like seven things and none of them are really a presentation, but inside Xbox or whatever the hell it is they do over here, basically PlayStation's version of that. And so obviously we can we can. Deduct from this announcement that there is some PlayStation marketing tie in between WB and Sony on on this Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy game, that you know, to where we're going to have a whole presentation and state of play events surrounding this one game, which is indeed multi-platform, it is coming to Xbox, it's coming to PC, so guys, there's our first bit of information, but yeah, the presentation will be Thursday evening, actually, 5pm Eastern Time, holy crap, I'll be in traffic at that time, anyway, it's they they say it's going to be approximately 20 minutes and include a lot of gameplay running on the PS5, This will obviously still be relevant to us, because like I said, it's coming to Xbox as well. I'm really excited. I think there's a chance we get a release date on this thing, even if it's that, you know, obligatory first release date that gets punted because every game gets delayed these days. Still, it'd be nice to see a date on this thing. And more importantly, it'd be nice to see this game running in action, see what this game is all about, because we still haven't gotten too much of a look on this game, and it has been in development for quite a while. It's being made by my boys over in Salt Lake City, Utah at Avalanche Software. Team behind Disney Infinity, rest in peace, you beautiful masterpiece of a game. I'm even though I'm I, I actually loathe Harry Potter. I find Harry Potter to be like laughably dumb, in my opinion, my personal opinion that no one asked for. I'm still very excited for this game because I uh, I love Avalanche and I just I just want to support that team. I'm so glad that they still exist. I'm I'm really grateful that they were able to survive Disney's Disney's riding off of their existence and that they were able to reform and in. in it, Live Life Again, made new by WB Games. So I'm really keen to, to keep an eye on this game. And also, you know, despite the fact that I don't like Harry Potter, I, sh- I should clarify. I hate Harry Potter because I think the characters are terrible. I think the writing is terrible. I think a lot of the concepts for the world are really laughably dumb. But one thing you got to give Harry Potter credit for, aside from obviously the awesome music, is is the world does have a cool aesthetic. I, I do like the dark Christmassy slash Halloween kind of tone that I don't know if that's something that the books portrayed well or if it's something that was born from the movies but Harry Potter does have a a cool aesthetic I will say so I think between that and the game being developed by a team I really admire and respect and am excited to see more from I think there's something here for me and and I hope there will be for you as well let's find out after we get this presentation this Thursday so Mark your calendars and if you're not interested in this game at all then I guess you can disregard all this and if you're super hyped about this you can say, Jesse, fuck you for shit on Harry Potter. What do you know, you stupid. Don't you like cars? Aren't you like into into like Lightning McQueen, you dumb man child? You, you'd be right. Alright, next up, Bethesda actually earlier today released a Starfield Developer Diary. Now, I didn't watch this because I don't care. I, I like this. This is one of those games where I just want to see a solid two minute trailer and then fuck off and I'll play the game when it comes out later in the year in November. Um, but there was a Starfield Developer Diary. I saw a lot of people buzzing about this online. Um, Todd Howard and design director of the game, Emil Pagli Rulo. I've, I've never heard of him before, but obviously probably someone quite important on the team and lead quest designer, Will Shen and lead artist is Estevan Peli. we're all at like a round table it's on in this video you can find on youtube uh discussing things about how uh, realistic playable characters and npcs will be in the game as well as different factions and, and things like that that players can join kind of just give some context for the world i think if you're a, a big fan of these bethesda games and and you're really looking forward to starfield this is probably a, a video you definitely want to check out personally like i said i'd, I'd rather just you know I, I don't need to know everything about every video game. Starfield's on, on my list of games I will hundred percent play as soon as it comes out. But I d I don't need to see I don't need you to tell me everything about it. Just let me see the trailer and I'll move on. But I understand that's that's just me. So definitely an interesting video worth taking a look. Or I, I haven't watched it, I'm not sure how interesting it is, but I'm sure it is interesting to many as I know expectations and hype and 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 just hunger for information on this game very high right now and I saw some people like saying like questioning the fact that this game is scheduled to come out this November and we still haven't gotten any gameplay And and I do want to remind that this is kind of how Bethesda does this you know we didn't see Skyrim for the first time until the year it came out we didn't see Fallout 4 for the first time until like five or six months before it came out I think they literally announced it like at E3 in 2015 and then the game was out in early November so this is pretty normal for Bethesda I actually this is one thing I really love about Bethesda I I love these announce a game and release a game within like five to ten months of of each other obviously Starfield was announced way too premature but you know we're not going to get a proper reveal for the game until pretty close to launch and, and that is something I really quite admire about Bethesda Game Studios so anyway definitely something notable there and then two other quick ones i want to get into actually the second one the last one we'll talk about a little bit because it's about elden ring and i know how i know how happy everyone is with elden ring and what an exciting conversation that is right now so we'll get into that a little more but real quick update on the ea motive studios dead space remake a 20 minute dev diary uh was released last week late last week right after the podcast went live and in it, they confirmed that the game is targeting an early 2023 release window, so probably about a year from now is what they're targeting. Now, again, as, as I mentioned a minute ago, every game gets a tentative release date before they punt it once or twice. So, is it possible the game probably comes out mid to late next year? Yeah, but you know, whatever they say, early 2023 for now, we'll take that. And uh, yeah, so the, the dev diary definitely something you can find on YouTube if you're again if you're interested. I did not watch it because this is yet another game where. I don't feel like I need to know all the nitty-gritty details. I will just play it once it's out. But they talk all about the audio of the game and how they're remaking that, and changes to weapons and environmental sounds and in the game's protagonists and all those things. So lots of varying topics, lots of audio-centric topics. Again, if you're a big Dead Space fan, probably something you want to look at. Then again, if you're a big Dead Space, if you're a big Dead Space fan, probably something you, you've already seen. So I'm just repeating something you already know. Look at me go. All right. Here's the final one I want to get into before we jump into the real the real run of show with the comments and all the sexy stuff. Guys, Elden Ring. This is, this is amazing. So let me just read this from VGC. Elden Ring has made a blockbuster start at U.S. retailers according to market research firm NPD Group, which we read from often. From Software's game, which is only released on February 25th, debuted as both the best-selling title of the month as well as the best-selling game of 2022 year-to-date ranked on dollar sales. Based on its launch month sales, Elden Ring is also already the fifth best-selling game of the past 12-month period, from Feb- um, ending in February of 2022. So that's literally like, what is that, like three, what, what, February was what, 28 days this? What the fuck, are you kidding me? February was only three days. So that's only kind of like three days of sales, and it was already the fifth best-selling game of the past 12 months. That's absolutely bonkers. Anyway, the game's launch month sales were only bettered by those of one other game released in the past year, and that is November 2021's Call of Duty Vanguard, a game that everyone said, oh, trash, that game's gonna sell like shit, Call of Duty's dead, and then guess what? Still the best-selling game of the past 12 months. Anyway, Elden Ring appears to be it's set to be from Software's most successful game to date, its UK release was the biggest launch for any game uh, there other than FIFA or COD since Rockstar's Red Dead Redemption Two back in 2018. So in four years, and it's Steam's sixth biggest game ever in terms of concurrent players, with a peak of over 950,000 players. That is more than seven times the number of Dark Souls Three concurrence, which was, of course, the last really really massive game from Software put out. That was their that was their biggest game to date until Elden Ring. So Okay, a couple things. This is obviously a huge success story for From Software, and I actually already tweeted a little bit about this earlier in the week about just kind of how infuriating it is that now we have to live in a world where gamers are going to constantly run around with these two conflicting narratives of, like, Elden Ring was, like, the biggest launch ever. When that game came out, it was, like, Skyrim. It was, like, one of those games everyone was playing, everyone was talking about. Biggest game ever. Oh, my God. Remember, Elden Ring, what a fucking masterpiece. That point has to live alongside... Call of Duty Vanguard sold like shit. No one played it. No one liked it. That's why that that game ruined Call of Duty. That's why they had to go to a two-year, or uh, that's why they had to take a year off after that and why blah, 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 blah. And they had to go back to this. And whatever stories we're going to inevitably discuss about Call of Duty in the coming months and years is all going to be blamed on. Cod Vanguard sold like shit and no one liked it. No one played it. And the funny thing is, of course, Call of Duty Vanguard outsold Elden Ring, but now we have the the typical elite gamer narrative of whatever, we're just going to say what we want because it's what we want to say. Now, I understand that that, you know, that point that I just make there ignores a lot of things, which is that Call of Duty has been the best selling game of the year every year, pretty much since Modern Warfare, or I think for sure since modern warfare i I don't know probably got outsold by gta maybe i I don't know but call of duty is almost always the best-selling game of the year so that's no surprise so i think people are really they just it doesn't mean anything when you find out that the latest call of duty game is the best-selling game of the year but a game like Elden Ring is crazy because you know Souls games are generally considered pretty niche, pretty hardcore for a very specific type of gamer. Like even in the hardcore games and uh, game segment uh, of, of the games industry, it's it's generally considered to be a pretty niche type of game. And so the fact that it's just selling gangbuster numbers and everyone's playing and everyone's talking about it, relatively speaking, does really speak to what a massive and roaring success this game is. So I don't I don't mean to diminish that. Or take away from that. I understand that this is a runaway success, the likes that we generally don't ever get to see, and and I don't I don't want to, you know, I don't want to again, I don't want to take that away from from now. These are obviously staggering numbers. I obviously this game was going to do well. I don't think anyone expected it to do this well it's kind of funny because it's really just demolished any conversation that was being had about Horizon Forbidden West which came out just days before this game did uh which is quite sad because apparently that game is really good but you know yeah, here we are dude and i do agree with the point to some extent that this is in a way you know this is like a water cooler kind of game where everyone's talking about it. everyone's talking about their experiences oh this is the story i had in elden ring last night i was playing and then this happened. It's like oh dude that's so funny while well, i was playing this happened and it is one of those moments it's one of those it's one of those rare games where people who don't normally give a shit about games are aware of this game and asking about it like oh everyone's talking about that new so i, I get it it does have a skyrim effect in that way it does have a, i don't know a fortnite effect in that way or an among us effect in that way if you want to talk about Just one of those games that everyone is talking about everyone I guess an Animal Crossing kind of effect in that way. But what makes this different is that no one in the fucking world expected a game like Elden Ring, a souls type game, to reach that level of status that status level that that level of success, so it is a huge feat, and it is quite impressive, considering, you know, alternatively, games like Call of Duty are so casual, so appeal to a wide-ranging audience, it is very impressive to see a very Japanese studio who makes a very hardcore, very grueling type of uh, uh, skill-based game with a very particular kind of setting that is maybe a little more niche and nerdy and hardcore be able to, just weave something together that somehow just blows up and gets the whole the whole world chatting about. So I mean, honestly, I feel like I'm seeing people blow up about this game, maybe even more than Zelda Breath of the Wild, and that's it's quite impressive. So, a couple comments I just wanted to make there. Very big congratulations to From Software. I, I realize a lot of people are really enjoying this game. That makes me very pleased to see. I thought about Impulse buying it because I have enough Microsoft reward points that I could probably redeem it and get the game for like 10 bucks or so, but I'm going to remain strong. I'm going to wait till the game is on sale or when it comes to Game Pass, because I'm still quite confident that this game will not be for me, but my promise to you remains that I will give this game a try at some point, and when that day comes, I will report back to you, and maybe, hopefully, it'll be another one of those Skyrim moments where I'm like, yeah, I shit on this game for so long, and then I finally played it, and guess what? I love it, and I'm an asshole so here's hoping all right guys that's gonna do it for all those updates Um, mildly amusing stories no corrections because let's be honest i'm perfect but guys with that out of the way let's jump into the favorite opening topic of the of the the show it's the comments you know how it goes head on over to youtube.com you type in xbox on podcast you boom you search that shit hopefully i'm the first search result i don't think i am but hopefully i am and uh you click on that thing you go to the latest episode of the podcast and you leave a comment you can see something really nice like jesse I really appreciate that, despite the fact that a game like Elden Ring is not your cup of tea, you're still going to go out of your way to try it just because you want to be open-minded. You want to see what all the the fuss is about, and you don't, you know, you don't want to just be that guy. So I, I appreciate that, I respect that. Uh, but seriously, man, how long you got to wait till you play it? You know, whatever. Keep up the good work, and uh, make sure you eat lots of spinach. And I'll say, I am eating lots of spinach because it is a wonderful vegetable that I quite enjoy. Thank you very much. But you could also leave a terrible comment. You could say, Jesse i just got back from the doctors i had a physical examination and you know what they told me they told me that you we a sack of shit. And I said, Doc, Doc, hang on a second. I, I let you cut my balls. Why? What, what? What is this you're telling me? And the doctor just went on and on about how you're the problem, how you need to change, how no one likes your podcast, how you're a fucking hack, and that, honestly, you don't even put enough time into video games to warrant calling yourself an elite gamer. So what do you have to say about that, Mr. Jesse? And I'll say, whoa, I feel like I'm up against a wall here. Why are you calling me out on all my insecurities? But we'll still read the comment on the air because that is what the people demand, and I am here to please the people. So, guys, our first comment of the week comes from none other than Mr. Way of the Lao who wants to talk about bad words or no bad words. He says, hey bro, how you doing? While I respect your choice to limit profanity on the podcast out of respect for your mother, I am going to have to request that you do not take out the foul language. I know what you're thinking and the answer is no, I do not wish any disrespect towards your mother. However, I feel like we lose out on some of the unique quirkiness that, that it brings to the table. Am I saying that I don't like Xbox On without cussing? No, sir. I'll always be a loyal listener unless you have Hitler's baby or something like that on the podcast. And I apologize for the loss of your capture card, my good man. I too am no stranger to the harshness of the pc hardware mistress if we can get you to just get 10 xbox on listeners to send 20 bucks each that would be enough to get you a new capture card everyone that listens to this episode please help out and get this floridian version of pewdiepie a capture card jesse please provide me with your paypal account so i can send my 20 dollars. keep up the good work and please start putting up more videos on youtube Wait, Lau. let's get one thing perfectly straight here okay in regards to Hitler's baby, I think you're going to eat those words because we got Hitler's baby on the next episode of the show, and I think you're really going to be interested to hear just exactly what he has to say. It's some really interesting shit. Second of all, I didn't say I was going to stop cussing on the show or cursing or however whatever your preferred word is. Because of my mother, I said... I just said I wanted to reduce the amount of cursing because I feel like it is a vocabulary crutch and that it is a sign of limited vocabulary and I just didn't I just didn't want to be that guy. It also just it can sound harsh to some ears. I just didn't want to be that guy. I said I want to work on that. It's just an ugly habit to have. But I was also aware that my mother listens to the show and she even told me I was allowed to curse just so long as I wasn't using it to insult others. That's what I said, Way of the Lao. So don't twist it, okay? You sweet, sexy man. Okay. Now let's jump onto your other points here. As far as the capture card goes, don't feel too bad. I I appreciate the initiative to help hashtag get Jesse a new capture card. But guess what? I figured out the, the issues I was having with my webcam hooking up directly to my Xbox. And so while this isn't a perfect solution, I will be able to start streaming from my Xbox again. So... Next Monday, dude, I'm I'm looking forward to it. We're going to play some Crossfire X, and it's going to be a good time. I'm really excited for it. So that is at least temporarily resolved, that issue. So don't worry too much about the capture card. And then finally, YouTube videos. I know, man. I'm sorry. I went out of town for that cruise, and then it fucked up my whole schedule. And now I've been in a very big theme park mood, and you know how it goes when you have multiple hobbies and it's like for these three weeks I'm really obsessed with gaming all I want to do is play these games and listen to these podcasts about games and watch these YouTube videos about video games and then you know you get distracted whether you're into like I don't know, cars or knitting or whatever it is you, you do, and then you get distracted by that. Right now, I'm having that with, like, theme parks and shit. Right now, I'm, I'm trying to steer myself back into gaming a little bit. I need to get back to some YouTube videos, back to really focusing on refining the podcast and trying to improve things and do more for my show. But, oh, boy, I just want to go ride Space Mountain, so leave me alone way of the loud But, yes, you're right. I need to get back to the YouTube videos, and I promise more are coming. I'm not going to let there be a, another three or four months spell like there was at the end of last year. So, hang on. Guys, let's talk Halo because we we shit talked some Halo last week and then you guys had some feedback and you guys had some of you agreed, some of you guys had some nuance, some of you disagreed, some of you even called me a chubby tub of custard, which sounds like a Teletubby reference. Count Skyla, I think, had the longest and most eloquently put little com- comment here about Halo Infinite and the state of its multiplayer suite. So if you'll indulge me, I'd like to read this real quick. Count Skyla says, I could go on for days with how disappointed in Halo I've been. Everything but the core gameplay is upsetting. My stomach churns when I see the challenges of the week. It's not fun and it's not what should dictate what I have to do in the extremely limited Halo experience that has been presented to us here. There's just so much to the core Halo experience missing with no guidance from 343 on when we may get it. 343 clearly needs more time, which seems ridiculous to say, but they cannot keep up with the live service part of their live service right now. I would freeze the game, cancel season two and tell everyone straight up that we messed up and we're going to take some time and flood you with content. They could just combine seasons two and three, battle passes slash cosmetics, get four to six new maps together, finish forge with six to eight good forge maps, custom browser, finish co-op and add some DLC campaigns in every freaking expected mode into the game. Gut the challenge system and add a Spartan career and tell everyone three months after the relaunch that we'll have another season ready to roll out in another one to two maps and a brand new mode that you've never seen before. Whether it launches this December or next December, I don't care. But this as a big update would get me all excited about Halo again. Anything less than that will need to be consumed and will be consumed and spit out and people will get tired of in two weeks and then they'll need the next thing. Past Halo games were good because they were a tsunami of content that had piled on from there. Drip feeding, FOMO-based content, and using challenges to control player behavior/slash habits only builds frustration. Halo is supposed to be fun. Con kind of Scylla, I think you, in terms of explaining the frustration and in. And- pinpointing where that frustration lies i think you did an excellent job now as for your dream scenario for how to handle the problem that that is presented as much as i absolutely love that idea and and i don't think you're suggesting that it's realistic you're just suggesting that it would be the way to handle things from this point out i don't think that's anything close to what we'll get and 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 you make the the great point here by saying if we continue on the track we're getting which is like these little weekend events that suck and just force you to grind challenges and a couple cosmetics here a couple cosmetics there and then oh five months have passed here are two new maps you're right it's just this this content is gonna be too few and far between and it's just gonna get gobbled up real quick and people are gonna get exhausted in it with it real quick in fact Crossfire X, the other game I've been playing religiously lately. That game is having that same issue actually because it has a huge issue with map variety. And um they just had a big content update that put two new maps, two new modes, and a bunch of new cosmetics in it. And I got bored of it real, real fast because I'm like, okay, this is great. I'm glad to have more content, but two maps was not enough. So that is literally the point you're making put into actual practice, in my experience at least. And so I, I think you make a great point. But the the thing is, I, I think 343 are kind of way in over their head at this point. I just, I don't know what to say. They lost their lead multiplayer uh, director. They, they had people just cycling in and out of the studio all the time. Clearly, these guys are kind of in a fucked state. And I just don't have full confidence that they can fix the problems with the game and add the amount of content needed to make the game fully fleshed out in a reasonable amount of time that microsoft would ever be allowed or willing to approve of so i I think at this point unfortunately you know because the genie's out of the bottle the game is on the market available to players there's nothing they can do but continue to roll content out as fast as possible even if it means just small drops in a more frequent basis rather than a massive overhaul drop um, after a long long dry wait so i mean g- god man i i didn't realize this until i was listening to a podcast where other these other people were talking about it because I, I never fuck around in theater mode apparently this game's theater mode is completely broken and I, i'd never again i never played with it but apparently it just doesn't work properly it will show you wrong perspectives it will show you things that didn't happen and all this fucked up shit, and it's just, man, we're expecting them to have this Forge mode, which based on leaks and rumors is apparently really, really robust and and next gen for Forge. It really does change the game, but they can't even get custom games in theater mode, right? And they can't even get a decent amount of multiplayer maps out in a relatively respectable timeframe. So it's just, how are we to expect you know, forge mode to come out anytime reasonably soon and and, and help fix things. And we, we see these new maps they're coming out with, and it's just more forerunner structures and empty outside wilderness areas. And it's just like, I, I just don't understand how we're expected to think they're going to get it right when they just keep getting it so wrong. And I think the thing that bothers me the most aside from the the just broken custom games and lack of forge and stuff like that even more than the the co-op campaign stuff which admittedly is something that doesn't mean that much to me but i i think is important because they promised it and therefore i think it should be here the, the thing that's really getting me is 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 the challenge and the progression system i just so badly want this game to have a Halo Reach. Remember when they promised it was more like a Halo Reach progression system? I guess they were talking about customization, but I really want that Halo Reach progression system. I want a Spartan career where you have a Spartan rank just like Halo 5, just like Halo Reach, just like Halo 4. And I want your, your progress and your XP points to be directly tied to your performance in your match. Fuck The challenges. I don't care about the challenges because I'm. I, I, we literally jumped on Halo Infinite this a few days ago for the stream, and it was actually the most fun I've had on Halo in a, in a little bit. It was nice to get back to and play. But we're, we're doing this new event they have where the cosmetics look whatever. I don't really give a shit about them, they're not that impressive looking, and it's just such fucking bullshit because the, it's like. I want to go in there and play some some casual Slayer. I just want to play Social Slayer. I don't want to do anything fancy, but no, we have to play SWAT. Okay, I love SWAT. Let's do SWAT. I want to play Social Slayer, but we're going to play SWAT. SWAT in this game is kind of fucking broken because it's just all these PC point and click shooters against people on controllers and there's no way to fix that or turn it off and so you're just kind of forced to have a worse experience if you're on Xbox like I am and then you, you got the problem where there's like just this random spawn killing shit the way the SWAT mode works but you have to play this because all the challenges to unlock the new little event cosmetics that aren't even that cool looking are all tied to SWAT right now for some fucking reason and so you want me to get 10 headshots with the with the sidekick even though sometimes you don't get the sidekick in SWAT so you just got to keep playing in hopes that you get the weapon loadout that you're that you're needing for your challenge even though you're playing a fucking mode you don't want to be playing for a challenge you have to do in order to unlock cosmetics because player progression is tied entirely to that and not even remotely to just gameplay and experience and it's just not a good time it's not a good time and that that's the thing in halo infinite that by far gets me the most i think the game needs way more maps way more environmental variety it needs more weapons i don't see enough people complain that this game needs more weapons is especially compared to halo 5 holy shit this game is a light on weapons but all of those things i can excuse if they could just fix the progression system it would make me want to play Fix the progression system. Allow you to disable crossplay so I don't have to play with sweaty PC freaks, okay? Get Forge in there. Fix theater mode. Like, God, it's it's sad, man. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but Count Skyla, thanks for writing in. I, uh, your comment really resonated with me, and now it's sparking something inside me, and I need to reel myself back. Mr. Miggy, what do you got for us? Well, Mr. Miggy wrote in and says, "'Maybe Halo should have been delayed another year. "'Also, hope you enjoyed Batman. "'Looking forward to Gotham Knights "'more than Suicide Squad game.'" Mr. Miggy, that's the thing is, in hindsight, knowing what we know now, having played Halo Infinite, I would welcome, you know, if we could go back in time and delay Halo Infinite another year, but you gotta try to remember the headspace we were all in in 2021 when Halo Infinite was already delayed a whole year, and people are like, what the fuck? This game was supposed to launch and then they delayed it last minute another year? What state was it in that that things were that bad? Can you imagine how incredibly rowdy and pissed off people would be if the game had been delayed another year? So we got to be realistic about it. It's like now having played it and knowing what we know now, we I'm sure a lot of us are like, man, this game, just one more year would have been perfect. But at the same time, People would have fucking given up on this game, rioted in the streets. Microsoft's campus would have probably been lit on fire. Like, I don't think they could have gotten away with that. And also, this game is just a historically expensive game to make. I think it got to a point where where Xbox leadership was like, guys, this game needs to come out. In Regardless of whatever state it's in, we cannot delay it again. It was already tooth and tooth and nail trying to get them to delay it the first time. So I, I, I don't think there was a, even an option for another delay. And I think that's probably what... 343 was mostly up against. Also, obviously Microsoft really wanted to just capitalize and tie in on the 20th anniversary of Halo and all that shit. There there was just no option for a delay, even though I think many of us can agree, in hindsight at least, that would have been the best thing for the game. But yeah, man, can you imagine if this game launched with little to no bugs, theater works, customs work, Forge is there, you can enable or disable crossplay, co-op campaign is there from the get, there are tons more maps, uh, the progression isn't completely fucked and shitty, and oh my god, can you just imagine if that's the Halo Infinite experience we we launched with? Because I, I can't imagine this would be anything shy of the best Halo game, right? If, if just all those things were were ameliorated from the get. Which sucks, because that's how Halo games used to launch. See Halo 2, see Halo 3, for example. But unfortunately, you know, and and people kind of forget Halo 5, my beloved Halo 5, Launched in a similar state where it was light on content, Forge wasn't there day one, but I would argue Halo 5 launched with more content day one than Halo Infinite did, and it launched less broken than Halo Infinite did in terms of, again, weapon variety, map variety, uh, mode variety, things like that. You know, they had Warzone mode, which was was really new. Uh, They had more maps. They had more weapons and the progression system wasn't shitty although i know people were really mad about rec packs but whatever. Mr. me i did see the Batman and you know what? i thought it was a really good movie and it also kind of destroyed my bladder, but i'm glad you're looking forward to Gotham Knights. Maybe you and i can get together and play together. Maybe maybe uh speaking of play together, i still need to finish Destiny 2 Witch Queen with Arctic Chief. Guys, if you find Arctic Chief, please have him reach out to me. All right, next up, Josiah, my brother, Cronky Writes in about Halo and says, can we please, this is the devil's advocate take, okay guys? Here comes Kronky coming in hot. Can we please take a deep breath with Halo Infinite? Relax for a second. When did the expectations for video games become that a game comes out and is the only thing you're supposed to care about for the rest of your life? I've probably played about 50 hours of Halo Infinite between campaign and multiplayer, and a lot of you have played even more than that. That's great. Now go play something else. More content will come to Halo if that's your problem. Go play another game. No more whining. Hush about it. You guys are going to be really disappointed when you finish Elden Ring and realize it won't hold your interest for the rest of your lives. So, I uh, there's a part of you that wants to take this point, but at the same time, I think there's so much valid criticism, or there's so much there's so much validity in the criticism being levied towards 343 and Xbox right now about Halo Infinite. Yes, there are people who have poured a bunch of time into Halo Infinite, and yes, the, I, I understand that. The, the mind track you're on where it's like, listen, you, there are people who put 70, 100 hours into this game and you're bitching and moaning about the game being light on content. Just because you are addicted to a game or because you know the gameplay loop has its hooks in you or because you see a lot of good in the game despite its many, many flaws, does not mean that you got your money's worth of the game and there it's done. And what I mean by that is there's no denying Halo Infinite launched content incomplete. There a lot of things broken, a lot of things that need tweaking, a lot of things missing, and obviously the, the amount of content was pretty bare bones as far as multiplayer goes. Campaign, I don't have many complaints with what we got out of that at launch, aside from the obviously multiplayer uh, co-op campaign wasn't there, but whatever. I think a lot of that criticism is completely valid. So just because you are a, a huge Halo fan and this game came out and you recognize that it is a very good game at its core, and you got very addicted to its unlock system and its battle pass and the FOMO and all that shit, just because you got addicted to that loop doesn't excuse the fact that the game launched in an incomplete state. I think it can be both true that you poured a lot of time into a product that wasn't necessarily worth the time or wasn't necessarily respectful of that time you invested in it, but nonetheless, you still put a lot of time. The amount of time you put into something doesn't always equate the value which is kind of why i hate when that so much of the way people talk about games is like oh this game was a ripoff it's only seven hours and you and you roll credits it's like yeah but was it a good seven hours you know think of a think of an example just think about like any single player linear story-based game like Whatever, Quantum Break, or Control, or whatever. You know, these these third-person, action, story-driven games that don't come with multiplayer. It's just a campaign. You spend 8 to 12 hours of your life playing it, and boom, you're done. Unless you're going to go back and do all the achievements, right? These games cost $60. And then you have games like Elden Ring, or Skyrim, which also cost $60, but... The campaign is like five times as long, and the it's an open world game with about a million more places to explore, and a million more ways to play it and break it open and enjoy it. And I wouldn't tell someone, hey, Remedy's uh, Control is not worth $60 because I beat the game in nine hours. So that game, a waste of $60. bucks. do not buy it. And then go tell someone, oh, Skyrim that game's worth $60, and here's why. I put 250 hours into Skyrim, and I'm still not even done with all the things I want to do in it. So that game is definitely worth $60. That's not fair, because the nine hours I spent with Control, I don't remember how long Control took me. It probably took me like 12 hours. But the, the time I spent with Control was such a high-quality, valuable 12 hours that I would say that was worth every penny paid, although I think I bought the game for $30, so I'm a hypocrite. Conversely, Skyrim, which I also played included in Game Pass, so I'm a hypocrite. But hypothetically speaking, $60 game. You could play that game for for years and years and years and years. And you would also say, totally worth $60. So a game like Halo Infinite, you know, being whatever, $60 and X amount of hours spent. I think all that matters is, is the quality of the time worth the inv- the time investment or the monetary investment. Now, obviously, Halo Infinite, free-to-play multiplayer, so it's easy to say the monetary investment, whatever. It's, it's basically cosmetics and battle passes we're talking about. But just because you put 50 hours into Halo Infinite doesn't mean you're proud of it and you wear it as a badge of honor and you go around saying, wow, that was 50 hours well spent. You might say, no, 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 that was 50 hours because I'm a Halo fanboy And I had this severe fear of missing out if I didn't grind that fucking battle pass all the way to tier 100 and keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, because I was just so desperate to, you know, enjoy new Halo content. And this was all that the game had to offer. That doesn't necessarily mean you got your money's worth or you got great value out of your time. It just means you sunk a lot of time into something. So I I don't like the way we measure everything based on like. Is blank worth X amount of dollars? Is X amount of time mean you got your value out of this? I don't, I don't appreciate that com- that that argument because it can be, it can be so subjective, based on every player's preferences, every player's experiences, and every different type of game. That I just, I just don't feel like that's an honest metric. Because I'll be honest, for me, Halo Infinite. If we're not talking betas, if we're just talking about since the game has properly launched, between multiplayer and campaign, I've probably put forty. Between, yeah, probably 40 hours into Halo. You know, about 12 in the campaign and then the rest on multiplayer. And I, I would say that my time with the campaign, 100%. All of that was worth all the time and all the money and everything. It was so great. My time with the, with the multiplayer, it's been mostly frustration. I will boot that game up and play it for two hours at a time out of frustration because as a Halo fan, I go, wow, it's been so long since I played this game. I need to make some progress on this battle pass. Everyone's completed it except me. I need to unlock those cosmetics. I need to do this this event, this challenge. And I have a bad two hours just listening to a podcast, getting my ass kicked in the game and being like wow i wish ah, there's so little this map again really we're playing bizarre for the fourth time in a row god fucking damn it and that's been my experience with halo oh man i i got to get another 5 kills with the pulse carbine i fucking hate the pulse carbine that's been my experience with halo infinite and so it, maybe you know maybe that says something about us as gamers being willing to sacrifice our precious limited time in this world, alive on this earth, on something stupid like playing a game we're not really enjoying, but nonetheless, it happens. You're sucked into something, you're emotionally attached to something, you're invested in one way or another, doesn't necessarily mean that it was 50 hours well spent and i think that's a fair criticism so Cronky, my cat just meowed. let's wrap up with a light-hearted comment from a mr sam torres who writes in about sonic the hedgehog 2 comes out april 8th make sure you buy your tickets at participating uh, movie theaters guys it's going to be a great time sam torres says sonic 2 is going to be great jesse the batman is fine it's a fine disconnected dc movie batman may be on a shuttle to Mars in the next DC movie. Who knows? But Sonic 2 is like two weeks from now, so ready to get that hedgehog butt on into the theater and scream, yeah, hyperbole. Oh, you're making fun of the way I said hyperbole. (laughs) Still can't figure out who misspelled this word and made me question with my fourth grade teacher, Miss Atkinson, beautifully correcting creature she was. Sam Torres. I'm so hyped for signing too. I already got my tickets, man. I already got my popcorn ready. I got it here. I've been carrying it around with me for the past two weeks. I cannot fucking wait. I've been practicing my uh, my bladder to try and just try and maintain as much liquid in there as humanly possible. So I want to take bathroom breaks when the movie comes out, even though the movie's probably only like an hour and twenty minutes long, and I really don't need to do that. I am so ready, Sam Torres. You have no fucking idea. I got a whole game plan for that night. I'm probably going to blow uh, to to make my face blue that night. Probably going to use blue face paint probably, may not definite I'm probably going to buy those cat ear headphones that like some Twitch girls wear and then I'm going to paint those blue also and my girlfriend's probably going to think that's really hot and it's probably going to get me a lot of attention when I'm out in public and it's going to make me look like a Sonic super fan so Sam let's fucking do this Guys, that's gonna do it for all of our comments, shoutouts, whatnot, for this week. Remember, for next week, if you listened in, you said, man, Sam Torres, Count Skyla, Cronky, Way of the Lau, Mr. Miggy, those were such good comments. I wish I could be like you and leave a comment. I'll say, Yeah, you should wish you're like them, because they're fucking awesome. And so my call to you is to not be shy, but rather reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing this past week. But before I can tell you about that, guys, I gotta tell you about what I've been eating. And guys. I know these have been out for a couple weeks now, maybe a couple months, but I only just now got around to giving them a try, and I gotta tell you about Flamin' Hot Cool Ranch Doritos. Now, for our friends listening in other countries, you may or may not have access to this flavor, because, let's be honest, this is an atrocity that only Americans probably are gonna eat, but, I don't know, I've seen some pretty gross shit come out of Canada, UK, Australia, you know, those English-speaking countries, you guys all like the creepy, shitty processed food, so it's not just us. Notice how I said processed, like, processed because I'm trying to reach out to my Canadian brethren to make you feel a little more included in this little thing we got going on called xbox on guys the flaming hot cool ranch doritos they are real they are good they are god these uh, on the flaming hot scale you know we're talking about flaming hot nacho cheese doritos we're talking about flaming hot cheetos the og's cheetos hot fries which are the fucking best i'm gonna rate these like a six out of ten on the hot scale i feel like i can eat a lot more of the cool ranch flaming hot doritos without my mouth burning on fire but maybe that is the cool ranch countering the flame and hot and creating more of a a, a harmony and a balance between flavors and uh, quite quite possibly that's what's going on here but guys these are these are good. They taste like Cool Ranch Doritos, and the flavor profile is not completely compromised, but the spicy goes well with it, and it it makes them more fun and adventurous to eat. This is the kind of chip that I would recommend to people who have access to lots of cold water. This is the kind of chip I would recommend to someone who wants something yummy in their tummy to snack on and maybe isn't going to mix it with a lot of other foods because they don't want to burn their mouth and ruin the flavor of other food they're eating. But guys, the Cool Ranch Doritos, they're available at Walmart. Prices are going up like crazy, fucking inflation. Am am I right, guys? $4 for a bag of Doritos? Are you kidding me? Absolutely worth it. Guys, go get yourself some Flamin' Hot Cool Ranch Doritos. You'll be glad you did, and you'll probably have to tweet out to me and say, Jesse, here's proof of me eating a Flamin' Hot Cool Ranch Dorito. Can I please be in your club now? And I'll say no, because I'm an asshole and I'm exclusionary like that. But guys, with that out of the way, let's talk about what I've been playing, because I only told you about what I've been eating. And, and What's a gamer... What's a well-fed gamer without a game to play, a game to game on? Like I said, <laughs> I, I, I've been busy this past week, so I, I not a lot of legit gaming, but I am trying to get back to Far Cry 6. I really don't want that game to fall in my backlog. I want to finish it because it is a good game. I'm enjoying it. I just started it at a bad time. I didn't realize Crossfire and all this other shit was going to take my life away and just make me, ah, all the time, so... Trying to get back to, to Far Cry 6, I, I stand. I don't have anything to add to this game right now other than I stand by what I said before. Far Cry 6, I don't know how, but it is so refreshing to play when Far Cry 5 did so much to ruin my perception and enjoyment of this franchise with just one entry, and I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I really think Far Cry 6 is the Far Cry sequel we should have gotten after 4. And I don't care. I don't as much as I wanted to like five and didn't like five. I don't care about any of that now, because now we got Far Cry Six and it is good. It is good shit. You can play it any way you want. The setting is super cool. It's evocative a little bit of Far Cry Three, and the the gun system in this game is v cool. The way you mod them and fuck with them. I'm very much enjoying this. I love my DMR rifle with the little soda milk carton thingy that helps silence it. It's very fun to use. I use it almost exclusively, and I do love being able to basically call a car or a horse in from anywhere on the map so i don't have to run around on two feet like a dumb idiot so guys if I cry g g shit crossfire i won't talk about it anymore halo what, what do you want me to say i'm playing crossfire and halo for my multiplayer fix the games i'm always playing what do you what do you want from me guys we are going to get some crossfire streaming on on twitch.tv slash lightning next week and i'm very much looking forward to that but yeah I, I i wish i could tell you about something cool i've been playing i will say i did purchase and download Frontlines: fuel of war and Homefront: the revolution because they were on steep discount right now on xbox i've always wanted to play these games it, unfortunately the first Homefront game, you can't get on the store. It's not backwards compatible. So you had to either get it on PC or buy a physical copy on 360 and pop it into a 360. But I've always wanted to play these games and I'm um, throwing it into the evergrown backlog, but hopefully I'll get around to it one day. I feel like there's probably a lot to say about these games that people just glossed over over the years. so that is pending, going to happen, likely, hopefully, maybe someday in the future. But guys, with that out of the way, yes, I didn't play a lot of games this past week. I sacrificed my free time to go watch Batman, to go watch Turning Red. I watched a lot of movies this week. Not very gamer of me, I know, but caught up on some movies I want to see. Still need to go see Uncharted. Sonic's coming out in a few weeks. Crossfire X coming back to the stream. With this all out of the way, guys, let's jump into the news. Let's talk about the latest dealings in the world of Xbox. All right, so our first story of the week is going to be quite a lengthy one. We got to get into this whole mess going on with the initiative. So, if you'll bear with me, I promise this is the only story we have to talk about this week that is this dense in terms of content, but I tried to read through it and see what I could cut, and I, I just feel like all this is proper context. So, guys, bear with me. So, from VGC, lifted from VGC, our dear boys over there at VGC. Perfect Dark's game director appears to have quit Xbox development team The Initiative. According to his LinkedIn profile, Dan Neuberger has left California-based studio last month. His profile page currently flags that he is looking for work elsewhere in design or director roles. So I'm going to stop here and and just put a pin. Didn't leave for a different job. He is currently looking for a new designer and director role. Okay, red flag. Next, Neuberger has worked at the initiative for nearly four years and was previously a game director on the Tomb Raider series at Crystal Dynamics, the studio which is now collaborating on Perfect Dark. The Perfect Dark director's exit marks at marks at least the second major design departure on the project in the past 12 months, potentially more than a year ahead of its reboot's expected release date. Xbox Xbox is the initiative studio has seen a fast and furious "quote unquote" wave of senior departures in the past 12 months. VGC has learned as much as half of the core development team that were known to be working on the game have quit the company during the past year or so around roughly 34 people analysis of employees on LinkedIn profile pages have revealed that includes most of the initiative senior design team, including game director, Dan Newberg design director, drew Murray lead level design, Chris O'Neill principal world world builder, Joylin Myers, two senior systems designers, a group of three former God of war designers and more. The turnover at the top talent doesn't end in design either. Perfect Dark's two most senior writers also recently quit. Analysis shows, along with the project's technical director, tech art director, lead gameplay engineer, lead animator, QA lead, and more. According to LinkedIn, the initiative is now less than 50 people when duplicate for former employees in erroneous listings are removed. And current listing is just three roles advertised on its websites for new job postings. Now, analysis suggests it hired around 12 people in the past 12 months. The timing of this departure coincides with the September 2021 announcement that Crystal Dynamics has been signed to co-develop Perfect Dark. This combination with a few job roles currently at advertised at the initiative, suggests that the Tomb Raider developers likely taking a much stronger lead than first thought on the project. Interviews with multiple former senior de- developers cited a lack of creative autonomy and slow development progress as the reason for the departure and describe a wave of exits as, quote, fast and furious, with project momentum said to be heavily affected. The initiative's management told VGC it's confident that the team that about the team it has in place and that new talent joining and pointed to industry-wide staffing challenges during the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, it's no small task to build the studio and reinvent a beloved franchise, studio head Daryl Gallagher told VGC. In creating the initiative, we set out to leverage co-development partnerships to achieve our ambitions, and we really we're really excited about the progress we're seeing with our relationship now with Crystal Dynamics. In this journey, it's not uncommon for there to be staffing changes, especially during a time of global upheaval like what we've experienced the past few years, and there's plenty more work in front of us to deliver a fantastic, perfect, dark experience to our players. We wish all our former colleagues the very best, and I'm confident the team we have in place, the new talent joining, and that we can't wait to share more with our fans. End quote. In the games industry, competition for experienced talent is at an all-time high following a pandemic-fueled gaming boom. An unhappy initiative staff would likely have been plenty had plenty of alternative employment opportunities at the large number of neighboring AAA studios in California. Alright, put a pin in that. Across the industry, many studios are currently facing talent crisis, with the sheer level of expansion investment in the, in the sector making it challenging for even the biggest studios to retain and attract senior staff. The former initiative developer VGC spoke to attributed the wave of departures to frustration among senior talent over the direction of the project set down by Gallagher and game director Daniel Nuremberg, who himself left the company last month, as we just spoke about. Although the initiative's website claims that the company promotes a collaborative, creative environment, former employees describe the studio's development hierarchy as very top-down, with Gallagher and Neuberg keeping a strong grasp over the creative decisions. According to the former employees, many senior team members were frustrated by the perceived lack of autonomy, didn't feel heard on key issues such as development priorities, project planning and team staffing. Gallagher and Newberg, who were previously studio heads and game directors at Crystal Di- at Crystal Dynamics, wanted to make games the way that they had always ha- they always had, with top-down direction, the sources have said, while many initiative employees were expecting a more bottom-up approach. As a result, it's claimed that the development of the progress has painfully slowly and solid sorry has progressed painfully slowly in a solid company culture it never formed. All former employees of EGC spoke with said that they were surprised to learn how lenient Microsoft had been over the lack of progress. One person said, Making games is hard enough, let alone... When you feel like you can't get through to the people making the decisions that affect anyone. Alright, put a pin in that. The culture issue was partially behind the decision to bring on board Crystal Dynamics, it's claimed. With Gallagher and Newberg allegedly hoping that production would move more more smoothly with the introduction of a second team familiar with the methods. Crystal Dynamics' introduction is also now likely... To plug the gaps left by the initiative staff's turnover, VGC has been told. VGC sources agree that they would be surprised if Crystal Dynamics' introduction, combined with the significant departures of core staff, had triggered the effect of a soft reboot of Perfect Dark that is still likely years away from release. All right, put all of that in there, especially that first part. All right, it is now understood. Let's wrap up. It's understood now that Xbox's leadership team are prepared to be patient with the new first-party teams, which include Playground Games' Fable Team, Rare's Everwild Team, and the priorities are assembling groups capable of regularly producing the kind of critically acclaimed prestige projects that come from PlayStation studios like Naughty Dog and Insomniac. And then just as a reference, they have listed over at VGC a all the um, initial team members from studio, design, art, all the different disciplines at the studio, and crossed out the names of the people who have left. So at the studio, you still have Daryl Gallagher, who is a studio head formerly of Activision and then most recently of Square Enix, led Crystal Dynamics. Lindsay McQueenie, HR manager from Google and Crystal Dynamics. Dixon Lee, director of finance and operations. They all remain at the top and remain in place. But then once you get down to the design, you see Daniel Newberg, Drew Murray, who left back in 2021 to go back to Insomniac, Chris O'Neill, Justin Perez, uh, who worked on Jedi Fallen Order, Kurt Loudy. Le- uh, who worked at id Software, Ian Miller, who worked on God of War 2018, Kai Zeng, who worked on God of War, Ray Yemens, who worked on God of War and Tomb Raider, Joylyn Myers, who used to work at Infinity Ward, Nigel Loster, who worked at the Coalition, so, uh, Sean Slayback, who worked at Respawn and Infinity Ward. Joey Tan, who worked Insomniac. we And then here comes the writers, Blake Fisher of Xbox. Kristen Thompson, of, who worked at Bungie on Destiny 2. And then I'll, you know, speed it up. We've lost some production talent, like John Gow from Treyarch. Art talent, we lost Lee Davis from Naughty Dog. We lost Ryan Throwbridge from Ben Studios. Eric Presson, Giovanni Martinez from Insom- Insomniac. Sarah Swenson from Naughty Dog. Isaac Urim Kim from Naughty Dog. Sylvia Chambers from Naughty Dog. And uh, you look at the new hires, and it looks like it's people mostly from internal Xbox teams, like Coalition, Turn 10, in some outside teams like Treyarch and, and 2K and stuff like that and Finny Ward. Guys, okay. Here's the thing is I, I I gotta nip this in the butt at the top. I know there are going to be a ton of... I, I don't know about this podcast and if and if there are you guys aren't pretty vocal. And that's one thing I love about Xbox On is you guys are usually pretty level-headed people. I must be doing something right if I'm attracting somewhat of an audience of level-headed rational thinking human beings because you guys aren't usually usually aren't console warrior fanboy cuck lords. So I will preface with this. I'm seeing a lot, not from this community, thankfully, but a lot on the internet where people are trying so hard to die on any hill to defend this, this situation to defend all these people leaving three, four, three, all these people leaving the initiative, all these shakeups and red flags going, Oh, well, that's because of this. Oh, well, that's explainable for this reason, guys, there is no possible reality under the fucking sun. Where what is happening right now at the initiative is good, is normal, and is business as usual. This is all red flag raising levels of like just alarms going off. Like what the fuck is happening at the initiative? And if anyone tries to spin this in a positive way or tries to downplay the severity of this, I think you're fucking nuts. I think you have, all due respect, I think you simply don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And that's coming from someone Who doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Because I don't work in the games industry. I've never made a game. I don't have connections in the games industry. I don't have a pulse on any of this. Other than I'm a stupid fucking human being who likes Xbox. And watches video game news. And follows YouTube pages. And follows developers on Twitter. And shit like that. So this is all outsider perspective. And I think it's clear as day as an outsider. That shit is hitting the fan at the initiative. Am I saying that? Perfect Dark is going to come out and be a total piece of shit. No. Am I saying Perfect Dark is going to get canceled and the game is doomed? No. Am I saying that this team cannot be salvaged and that everything is fucked? No. But what I am saying is Xbox formed this team like four years ago. They We've known they've been working on something like Perfect Dark for at least two years. And this game is very far away from being properly revealed and even further away from being released. It is a complete mess. And the whole allure of the initiative was, Xbox was going to put a team in Southern California next to all the big guys, like your Insomniacs and your Sony Santa Monicas and your Insomni your Naughty Dogs and all that, and poach talent from all the teams. In the games industry, but mostly, most specifically Sony's AAA teams that have revolutionized the way people view games over the past decade with games like The Last of Us and Uncharted and God of War and Spider-Man and all these games that were on the PS4 that blew people's minds and said, this is the future of video games. Look at the way stories are told in these games. Look at the way things are acted and animated and rendered and the, interacted and polished and just designed and done up and down, top to bottom, with the most amount of polish in a way that is just super high quality, very serious, very respectable, highly artistic. This is gaming. This is the future of gaming. Whether you agree with that or not, whatever. You know, I've, I've argued on this podcast before. I'll take Gears 5 over any of those PlayStation 4 exclusives that were apparently mind-bending. But there's no denying the impact those games have had in the games industry. There's no denying the fact that those games are good games. I played all those games. Those games are very good games. And particularly, I'd say, The Last of Us Part 1 and God of War 2018. Those two games are very, very strong games. And Xbox wanted to poach that talent and have a team like that of their own. Guys, it is. this is getting so far from what we had to discuss here, but I, I got to preface with this. Guys, we all love Halo. I, I've, I've, I've noticed this doing Xbox on for a lot of years. Uh, in a lot of ways, our biggest through line between me and you, the audience, hasn't even been our shared love of Xbox. In a lot of ways, for many of you, it's been our shared love of Halo. Halo is the thing that made Xbox, it is the thing that put Xbox on the map, it is the thing that legitimized Xbox as a brand, and I love Halo forever, it is a huge part of my life. Halo, I've never wanted to get a tattoo, but Halo is one of the very few things I've ever considered permanently inking on my fucking body. I love Halo, and I know many of you do too, but we gotta be realistic, understanding, mature adults, and admit that Halo is not... The game it used to be. It is not, it does not have the impact and the influence in the industry that used to have. You might personally believe Halo is just as good as it's ever been. I feel that way about Halo. I, I feel that way about Halo 5 in particular. I thought Halo 5 was phenomenal. But let's be honest, that's not how the world looks at Xbox. That's not how the world looks at Halo. And Xbox knows that. And that was the point of the initiative, and I'm tired of people trying to do the revisionist history and the bending backwards to defend their brand and say, no, 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 the, the initiative was always meant to be small and agile and flexible. They were always meant to hire on external talent to help them develop a game and this and that and try to rationalize every red flag we've seen up to this point, and I'm fucking tired of it because it's pretty clear as day based on The talent they poached, where they built the studio, and what they aspired to do, and the blank checks Microsoft's been writing for this team, and all the time and leverage and just the autonomy they've given this team to fuck off and do their thing for four years. It is very clear. Phil Spencer and the team at Xbox, the leadership at Xbox, want a developer like Naughty Dog. Obviously, the article lists it. Everyone knows it. Everyone talks about it and i think you need to keep that piece of information at the forefront of your mind because there's so much defending and and just this like fanboy cucking for this 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 team that's clearly under in in big trouble going on and it's not acceptable. And I, again, i'm not saying this game is completely fucked that this team is completely fucked, but this is red flags galore. So you lose so you lose uh your game director, your game's director. In a time where in the story notes and we talked about last week on the podcast, the games industry is experiencing a talent drought like never before. The games industry is growing like crazy. People are being allowed to work from home more than ever before. Salaries are doubling and tripling at some super uh, high-profile publishers and developers right now because there's an arms race going on in this industry. Everyone's trying to consolidate. Everyone's trying to get the most talent. There's a reason why Sony just gave like everyone at Bungie a 1 million dollar fucking uh, uh, bonus to stay on board during the acquisition and it's because talent is king and everyone fucking wants it. And this studio just lost their lead develop their their lead their sorry, their game director in the midst of all of that happening. But when you look at the guy's LinkedIn profile, it doesn't even mention that he was poached. He's not going anywhere. Unless he's withholding information for now you know, for personal reasons or business reasons, very possible. Unless he's withholding that information, this dude, in a time where you can make double or triple your salary in a city that is so competitive for the highest quality of game development, this dude fucking left the initiative and doesn't even have a new job lined up. That is red flag number one. That is red flag standing taller than the fucking highest building in all of Abu Dhabi or wherever the fuck they have tall buildings. Like, that is a crazy red flag. Don't let that go. And then scroll down where it's the next thing I highlighted. Well, this kind of ties into that. We talked about the competition and the way that the games industry is booming and people are off- being offered shit tons of money. So let's let's dive into that further. We see all the talent le- leaving. I just, I just listed a shit ton of names that we crossed out of the list, that VGC had crossed out of the list and said these people have all left the initiative in the past 12 months. We're talking about talent from Respawn. Bungie, Naughty Dog, Sony Santa Monica, Sony Bend—all these super high-profile developers, even the Coalition and Xbox own team—super high-profile developers leaving. Writers, programmers, art designers, directors, everyone leaving. Very, very possible. Considering this is a team based in Santa Monica, meant to compete with the likes of Insomniac and, and, and Naughty Dog, that these these talent are just being poached back. They're just being told by their old teams or maybe new teams, "Hey." We'll pay you double of what the initiative is doing, and guess what? We have vision. We have really clear uh, direction in our company. Everyone's voice matters. You'll be paid double what you're paying now. You only have to show up to the office three days a week, whatever. And they're all fleeing. All right, next red flag. Microsoft has had a this is a reoccurring thing they've heard from people in, in interviews. Microsoft has been surprisingly lenient over the lack of progress made on this game. So that tells you a couple things. First of all, the game is not very far in development. There's not much to show. Don't expect to see this thing at E3 or whatever the fuck we're getting this summer. You're not going to see this game because there is no game to show. First of all. Second of all, Microsoft, or actually, let's before we get to second of all, let's read the other the other part because it plays into it. Microsoft is super lenient, super hands-off, and doesn't seem to be all that concerned with how little progress has been made in all this time. One person said, making games is hard enough, let alone when you feel like you can't get through the people making the decisions that affect everyone. And so they're talking about how the company promoted a a bottom-up kind of development uh, culture, but it seems more like a top-down, where the leadership at the top is telling you exactly what they want, and you have to follow suit, as opposed to everyone having a say and that kind of affecting the culture of the workplace, and everyone pitching in and making the game their own unique thing from their own discipline, and making a collective project, so... We see that happening internally within the, division, within the initiative where people are getting frustrated because they feel like their voice doesn't matter. They're not being able to contribute in a meaningful way that is individual and unique to themselves. And then you have the guys above them at Microsoft who are like, yeah, we have all the money in the world. We just want our own naughty dog. That's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to compete with those guys. Here's a blank check. Go fuck off. Do your thing. Take all the time you need to make it happen. This is something I've said many, many times before. And I'll say, I'll say it again. Phil Spencer, really good guy. Really likable guy, in some ways says all the right things and it sounds really good when he makes the statement about how we want to leave companies alone and let developers and teams make the games they wanna make and be very hands off. That makes sense when you have a team like, I don't know, Bethesda Game Studios that that has proven for many, many years that they can do this shit on their own. They don't need Microsoft, a team like, I don't know, Double Fine, who have proven for many, many years that they can make really good games on their own. They don't need micromanaging from Phil Spencer in the higher ups. The initiative is a brand new from the ground up team. And clearly what we're seeing here is they need some help. They need some really good producers. They need someone to step in and be like, guys, this is our timeline. This is how long you've been working on the project. We need this done by this date. We need to have this amount of progress to show by the time we reach this point in development. We need someone who's a liaison between the initiative and and Xbox management to be like, guys, we're having an issue here where the team feels like their voices aren't being heard and they're not able to flex their creative muscles and the top is just kind of telling them exactly how it goes and they feel like they don't really have a creative role in this and they're just kind of you know fodder for the thing and we have high level talent feeling this way we didn't spend all this money to poach all these high profile people just for them to be any old game developer these people what is this so again that's a failing of phil spencer that's a failing of the xbox leadership that you're being super you think you're doing the right thing by being super hands-off and maybe i'm just connecting too many dots that aren't there but i i think this makes sense you're being super hands-off you're being super lenient that's awesome no one likes to be micromanaged. We understand Microsoft doesn't want to create another bungee situation like they did back in the day. But this team clearly needs some direction, clearly needs some studio ha- hand guiding them in, in, in making some changes. It doesn't look like they're getting it. All right, next red flag. Crystal Dynamics, introdu- uh, <laughs> Crystal Dynamics' introduction to the development cycle is also now likely to plug the gap left by the big staff turnover. Again... When we learned about Crystal Dynamics joining as as basically a four hire dev assistant team on this project, again, a lot of the Xbox fanboys were were quick to grab their their Xbox shields and their Xbox swords and and get up there and defend and fight for the honor of their favorite brand and say, no, 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 no. the The initiative was always meant to be a small, nimble team that could hire on talent, and be flexible in and all that. We talked about how it's about having really high quality, a small but really high quality nimble core development team that can have like a great vision and you know, and a great idea and then being able to hire on external, you know, for hire work to kind of see out that vision and do that maybe, but, uh, Everyone at the initiative is leaving and you basically got all these people from Crystal Dynamics doing the, the heavy lifting at this point. I mean, at what point is uh is Perfect Dark no longer a game from the initiative and just a fucking Crystal Dynamics game? Because at this point, it seems like what we're getting is Perfect Dark from the people that brought you Marvel's The Avengers, not Perfect Dark from the guys who brought you the Last of Us and Uncharted and it's Spider-Man 2018 and God of War twenty eighteen and Gears of War Five and fucking it's Black Ops Four or whatever the fuck it is because they had all these talent from all these high profile teams and now it just seems like Crystal Dynamics is making the game. Okay. And then it ends with the fact that a lot of people said they wouldn't be surprised if basically this game's just getting soft rebooted as a result of the massive staff shakeup paired with Crystal Dynamics introduction into the development cycle, which honestly I think also makes sense it seems like at this point this team is so far removed from what it was announced to be four years ago and what it is now that it's like yeah man i just i don't see that core talent from four years ago that was like oh shit they're getting all the big guys together to make a really good game It, it just sounds like you got the tomb raider and avengers guys making a perfect dark game and i don't know to me that doesn't sound like some super high-quality triple A, quadruple-A, whatever-have-you, next-gen game from Xbox. It just sounds like another really good action, third-person shooting-type whatever, although Perfect Dark's first-person, so what am I saying? Game that's going to be probably pretty good when all is said and done, but not, you know, something to really give The Last of Us a run for its money. And you consider that with the fact that Microsoft is apparently being very lenient and just giving them all the time in the world to figure their shit out. And it's like, well, are we creating another Halo Infinite situation here where you're just about to hit a record-breaking budget for a game that is going to come out and be very good but not impressive enough to justify its budget? And again, that goes back to Phil Spencer. That goes back to the leadership at Xbox. And I just think we have a situation here because we're seeing the issues at 343, and now we're seeing the issues at the Initiative, and this all circles back to... I don't think the leadership at Xbox really knows how to manage and handle these studios. And I feel like a part of me can't, you know, again, as, as an outsider with very limited experience and understanding of what it's like on the inside, it seems like there's this culture at Xbox to really take care of the developer by being very hands-off because you don't want to bungee them. You don't want to do what my old Microsoft did to bungee back in the Halo 3 days and drive them away. So let's just, you know, we're Xbox, we're Microsoft, we have money, let's just write them blank checks, back off, and let them do their thing. And even though that sounds really great on paper, and for some studios it might even be great, for others, it seems like it's just allowing these budgets to just get bloated and inflated, and for these staff to feel unheard and unrepresented, and for staff to just turn over, and for game projects to just be extended and delayed and reworked and fucked over in so many different ways, and I'm just wondering, where, where, what is the disconnect? Is it Phil Spencer who's stretching himself too thin by buying every fucking developer and not stopping for a second to figure out how to be good at managing the teams he owns? Or is it the leadership on a studio level that they just hired the wrong talent to lead these teams? Or is it that there's a complete lack of certain positions, production producer positions that maybe need to be here, kind of acting as a liaison between Xbox management and the game studio to make sure that these projects are on track and targets are being hit and that concerns are being voiced on behalf of these developers. I don't know, but I do know this. Sony keeps consistently making these super high quality for a single player story driven third person action games that Xbox so desperately seems to want to make with the initiative. And we don't see the stories coming out about PlayStation having this problem. Horizon Forbidden West, The Last of Us Part Two. These games just came out recently. Ghost of Tsushima. These games all just came out within like what the past 12 to 24 months. All get amazing, glowing reviews, sell crazy numbers, all just lauded as oh my god, just such an immaculate game, must play, boundary, groundbreaking, next gen, whatever. And these games were made in reasonable time frames for how development works today. We don't see stories about everyone's leaving the developer or they can't get it under control or the game's way over budget or this game's losing this guy and this guy's left as well. And oh my God, these guys have been gone for like months and no one even noticed. We're not seeing that. So I just can't help but feel like this is a problem Xbox leadership is experiencing. And again, when you're so willy-nilly with the whole, we're Microsoft, here's the blank check, figure it out, we're gonna be hands off. I think you should take some of that money and maybe say, instead of poaching the developer or the art director or whatever, you know, that Sony has, that does such a great work on their games. Maybe you should try to find and poach the producers and the studio execs that seem to understand how to make the Sony teams run like well-oiled machines because Xbox clearly doesn't have that. They have, don't get me wrong. They have teams that seem to just know how to do it. Turn 10 playground games, the coalition, I would say those are examples of Xbox-owned teams that have done a really good job of proving that they know what they're doing, and they're pretty damn good at it. It seems like Bethesda was a great acquisition for them, because guess what? I think Bethesda Game Studios is fairly decent at it. I think Tango, or um, not Tango Gameworks, but um, I'd say Arcane is really good at it. In general, a lot of Bethesda teams are good at it. They, They release games at a steady clip and don't seem to run into the kind of production issues that Xbox teams run into, so that's great for them. But you have some really important kids over here, like... The guys behind Halo, your franchise that started it all, and your new team that's supposed to be like the new threat to the industry, and both of those teams are suffering tremendously. And I just, I just can't blame it, you know, on like this one guy or that one guy at the studio or this game director or like this culture. It's like, I don't know. It, it seems like something higher up that's just fundamentally broken or missing. And uh, I just think Xbox. Is too big and too rich to not be able to just find the fucking solution already. I mean, wasn't this the problem all throughout the Xbox One generation that it was just like Xbox has no games. It's like yeah, because they have no teams, but also because they can't figure out how to get these games out. And oh, we fold, we 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 folded Lionhead, and we canceled Scalebound, and this and that. And it's like, guys, how do we just fucking figure it out from an Xbox management and leadership position where we 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 somehow key in on. What project we're working on, what we're funding, what steps need to be taken to make sure this game is being um, developed product in a productive way and in a reasonable time frame and appropriately? and that we're not just throwing money at a team saying make a game and fucking off and trusting that everything works out. Because I feel like that's what we get a lot with Xbox is there's this like, hey, you're a team. Here's money. Go make a game. I hope it works out and then Phil Spencer proudly announces the game a year or two into development, and then the game disappears, and then we find the game's in trouble, and then it gets canceled, and oh my God, we're talking about so many examples for Xbox games. Again, it's it's just... I, I feel like the buck has to stop with the higher-ups at Xbox, and now I'm just repeating myself. This is... I don't know a way to turn it. And and I only speak so... I'm only so candid and hard about it and serious about it and potentially hard on Xbox about it because I love Xbox. I was so happy when the initiative was announced as a team, when the formation of that team was announced, knowing that so many of my favorite members, Drew Murray, holy shit, the guy behind Resistance and fucking Sunset Overdrive, you got that guy to go lead a A next-gen Xbox game studio. I was so excited for the talent they drew and for what this team was about and what they were going for and what they were trying to accomplish. So I say this as an Xbox fan, but this is severely disappointing. And I think the only thing we can do as as fans, as audience members, as people just watching on the sidelines is voice this concern and be like, yeah, this is something is up. Let's stop defending everything Xbox does because we really like the way their controller feels versus a dual sense or whatever the fuck it is that people do to justify fanboyisms. But like, I I want the initiative to be a great team and to make great games. And obviously they haven't even put out a game, so we can't really judge that yet. But like, I just can't help but notice how fundamentally fucked the situation is between developers and the leadership at Xbox. And if there's anything good about Xbox just buying spree of taking all the talent in the world and putting it under the Xbox umbrella, it's that fortunately they've acquired a lot of teams that seem to know how to do this a lot better than they at Xbox do. Because, I mean, say what you will about Activision and Call of Duty, but they sure as hell know how to get a fucking game out on time. So I don't I don't know. I uh, I'd be very interested to hear any of your thoughts and opinions on that story because, dude, come on. <laughs> This this studio should be such a happy, exciting place to be right now. You have endless capital from Microsoft. You've got a new, fresh team. Endless possibilities about what you can do and how you can approach making it. And they just can't get something off the ground. At this point, I'm kind of convinced. You know, until we see otherwise, uh, Perfect Dark is more or less vaporware. So, I know I say that a lot, but like I I don't know. Convince me otherwise. <laughs> what what do you? Who's even responsible for what exists of this game? Anyway, we, we, need, to re- we need to move on because I'll just keep talking talking about this. I, I, uh, this, this, this. This just perplexes my brain so much thinking about this. All right, let's move on to something a little more exciting. Here's some, hey, some really lighthearted, happy, good, good spirited news. Tunic, the indie-developed Zelda-inspired adventure game from Finji. God, it was announced like fucking 2017, I think. The, p- people have been eyeing this game for so long. Uh, Surprise launched today, so it's out. The rumor was it should be out probably by sometime this summer. Well, surprise, surprise, it's just out now, so that's really awesome. And guess what? It's on Game Pass, which I think we already knew. So it's through Game Pass on PC and console, or you can buy it for $30 if you prefer to do it that way. The game was announced, as I said, revealed in 2017. We've been seeing it on a pretty consistent basis ever since then at basically every show Xbox does. Uh, but it was it's been it was announced as a Xbox One console exclusive. But yeah, so I guess it's just, you know, in development for so fucking long that now it's on Series X as well. Qu- a quote from Andrew Shule- Shuldis, uh the solo developer of the game, game made by one person only, says, quote, I used to feel like there was no secret in this game because I knew all of them. But now that tunic is done, it is so validating to see people be delighted by all the things we've hidden. There's really a lot to find in the game, and I hope players feel like they feel the kind of wonder this game was inspired by. I'm so very proud of what we've created, and I can't wait for everyone to go out there and explore. So, game is out now. From my understanding, it is more or less like kind of like Zelda: Link to the Past, basically, but with a fox and like a modern, more adult centric version of it. I don't think adult in terms of like mature themes, but just adult in terms of not being so whimsical. I'm not really sure. I honestly haven't. Haven't followed this game too closely, just because it's every time we see it, I'm like, yep, there's Tunic. When's it coming out? But initial impressions from from many people seem to be that the game is quite good. Um, I'll definitely be eager to give this game a try. I'll definitely download it and give it give it a go. I'll be quite honest. I I've never been much of how I say this because you guys know I was a huge Nintendo fan especially I mean up until relatively recently I've especially in my younger years I was very very Nintendo centric as a gamer Zelda was always actually one of my least favorite Nintendo properties it wasn't even really until like the Wii days that I really started caring about Zelda but I I have I have given Zelda quite a bit you know I, I played quite a few Zelda games have beaten, you know Wind Waker and Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild and Ocarina of Time and I've played Majora's Mask, but never finished it. And as far as 2D Zelda games go, I've really only ever played A Link Between Worlds and A Link to the Past. So to me, this style of game has always felt a little bit like if you played one, you played them all, which I guess as an adult is kind of my general feeling with Nintendo games as arbitrary and not fair as it may sound as someone who just loves playing Halo after Halo. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm definitely eager to give this game a try. I just, I'm just curious, you know, when Zelda, the game that is seen you know the game that started this kind of this kind of genre and everything is a little bit boring and, and overdone for me i find it hard to believe that a game that is basically a spiritual successor or, or a a a tribute to that kind of game is really going to grab my attention but nonetheless i'm i'm hoping to be proven wrong i'm hoping to be captivated by this game it does have a really cute art style really cute main character little fox top down perspective isometric kind of view yeah, I mean, obviously not much to say on this other than it's really, really cool to see this surprise launch. I think this is a good get for Xbox, considering the, f- the front half of the year has been really slow for them. They had a really great end to 2021 with Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite. They just dominated the conversation all during the holiday. Really made PlayStation look bad, considering PlayStation didn't really have anything last fall. And then since then, this this whole first part of the year has just been... Elden Ring and Dying Light 2 and Horizon Forbidden West and Gran Turismo 7 and all this stuff that's either not even on Xbox or multi-platform so it's really cool to see Xbox have kind of something now to talk about especially as people start to maybe wind down a bit on Elden Ring even if it is you know an indie game it's not necessarily their next triple a big budget game this is a uh, this is something that can garner a lot of Praise and good high respect and, and whatnot from Xbox. So it is cool, it is exciting. I'm sure many of you guys will be eager to check it out as well. I'll probably give it a go sometime this weekend. And guys, let's move on to our next story. Keeping with the positivity, we started with the bad shit, so we can get into the good shit. So guys, next up, BGC relays that Microsoft looks set looks set to hold its regular E3 style Xbox game showcase this June. That's according to GamesBeat journalist Jeff Grubb, who claimed in a video show on Friday that Microsoft is currently talked to publishers about a June event. This matches what VGC has heard from its own sources. Quote, I'll probably have more to say about this soon, but it's in June, not May, said Jeff Grubb. Well, they might do something in May or September, I don't know, but they're not planning, but they, what they're, sorry, but I do know that they're planning for an E3 style show in June. But talking to partners to get big games in there, uh, this is ongoing right now, and it's only March, so it's not like they can change that train or turn a big ship around. They're headed in that direction, and they're going to do something in that time frame. End quote. Microsoft held its previous E3-style showcase alongside newly acquired Bethesda last June, the year before the big games event took place in July. E3 has canceled this year's physical event for the third year in a row, and it has yet to confirm plans for a digital event. Last year, the ESA held a three-day live stream of coverage to replace its physical show, and the Game Awards founder Jeff Keeley last year has confirmed or or had a summer game fest, which he has confirmed will take place again this year, likely in June. Uh, even before the pandemic, E3's organizer, the ESA, was already facing significant pressure to reinvent the flagship games industry event with several major publishers including EA, Sony, and Activision having abandoned the event in recent years. That was before 2020's cancellation after many companies such as EA and Ubisoft enjoyed success of running their own digital events. Commenting with VGC VGC reports last year, former Nintendo of America boss Reggie fils said that he believed the ESA needs to act fast in order to save its historical gaming event. So this doesn't really surprise me all that much because of the big ones, you know, Nintendo kind of fell off E3 forever ago really with the start of Nintendo Directs, which is... God, they've been doing those for like about a decade now, I want to say. Man, maybe they started directs, I want to say in like fuck like 2012, 2013, somewhere around that time. But um, yeah, I mean, they've been doing it for about a decade now. And I really would say that that was the catalyst for getting away from E3, because even though Nintendo Directs were generally held at E3, they then started doing other Nintendo directs around the year. At, you know, it was kind of their own separate thing they did um, during E3 time but wasn't necessarily an e3 affiliated event and uh then it only got worse we saw ea kind of do their own thing right before e3 um right across the street from e3 and sony famously bowed out at e3 uh, a year or two before covid hit so they they were already kind of seeing the writing on the wall and everything so Really, when you look at it, the only big runner who's really stuck through with E3 this whole time has been Microsoft. They they always have gone all out for E3. They always do a super big show. They've never really talked about maybe getting away from it. They've always been very enthusiastic about their support for E3 and being a part of it. And so it doesn't surprise me that even, you know, maybe we'll get an E3 digital event this year. Maybe not. It doesn't really surprise me that with or without it, Microsoft is planning on basically doing the same kind of thing they would do at E3 around the same time of year with or without it because they just rely on that similar kind of event that they've can that they notably or famously been known to provide. So that doesn't really surprise me. It seems very much in line with what we've seen from Xbox even in the face of other teams and other companies dropping out and falling away from E3. Um, now, as the article mentions, it's, it's possible that they're maybe looking to do their event during the Summer Game Fest and that maybe the Summer Game Fest just turns into... E3's replacement, which is obviously Jeff Keeley and probably a lot of teams kind of ultimate goal. But more important than that, I think what we see just more than ever is that and this is something COVID really taught a lot of these these teams is that like you can control your message and just have the spotlight all to yourself whenever you want. And that's kind of the beauty of a Nintendo Direct is, like, you don't have to do it during E3 where it's like, oh, man, did you see EA's awesome announcements? Oh, that was so cool. Two hours later, forget about EA. Did you see Sony's awesome announcements? Two hours later, forget about Sony's announcements. Did you see Xbox? You know, and, and by having the autonomy to just do your own show digitally, whenever the fuck you, you plan on doing it, you can plan to announce stuff around the competition so that you can dominate the news cycle and dominate the attention of everyone else during that time. Now, is there still value in something like Summer Games Fest or E3? Of course there is, because you don't want there to be a huge event where all the other guys have big, big news to share and you're just nowhere to be found because that also looks bad. It looks like you're... you're looks like you're not around, like you got nothing up your sleeve. So that's also, you know, from a marketing perspective, a really a really uh, advantageous position to be in as well. And I think what you're going to see more and more of is just this kind of like, yeah, we all kind of show up for the E3 or the Summer Game Fest, or the Game Awards or whatever the event is, Gamescom. And then we can also kind of like hold our, you know, hold our fire a little bit and save some of those big announcements for our random showcase we do in the spring or the fall and maybe do quarterly presentations so you got one every season you can always kind of drum up the hype just as the hype starts to die down a little bit and we've seen xbox really start to lean into that a lot as well because they they support all the shows and they've been they've been doing more and more and more events as of late so i think obviously and this is to no one's surprise we're talking about this two years ago when the pandemic began everything that this more or less is the future it's just a matter of when not if but i i don't i don't think it was ever a question whether or not xbox would have a big summer event i think it's really more a matter of is it going to be a digital e3 is that even going to happen i'm pretty sure at this point it's just not the esa is like so fucked um is it going to be summer games fest i think it's quite possible but is xbox finally going to just pull the trigger and do their own independent thing even when there are the there is the option to do another thing, that would be the most interesting thing to see because Xbox usually goes with the with the main event thing if it's available and will only do their own private event if if nothing else is around, as was the case in 2020. So nonetheless, I think regardless of how it ends up going, what event it ends up getting attached to, or if it ends up being independent, I think regardless of that we're still going to see a pretty similar show to what we get every summer for E3. Um, and I believe June, June sounds about right. Knowing Microsoft it's usually like the second week of June. So I would let me let me look at a calendar. What is this? What does this year look like? Uh June, here we go. They usually do Sunday. They're big on Sundays, but um I guess in 2020 I think they did like a Thursday. So I'm guessing I'm guessing either June 9th or June 12th. That's where I'll put my or June 13th. Either Thursday the 9th, Sunday the 12th, or Monday the 13th. Whether it's E3, Summer Games Fest, or some independent thing, I'm going to guess it's one of those three dates. We'll see if I'm right or wrong. If I'm wrong, I owe all of you guys a sausage McMuffin from McDonald's because that is something I won't feel bad about not getting to eat because I don't care for sausage McMuffin. So, haha, <laughs> fuck you. All right, next up, guys. Let's talk about the Steam Deck. I know a lot of you guys are really enamored by that thing and its potential with Xbox. Windows Central reports that the Steam Deck is arguably the best pre-made PC ever built, uh, bristling with power that often beats much more expensive pre-built desktop gaming PCs. The pint-sized PC runs Valve Steam OS, but today they revealed full support for Windows on Steam Deck, with a range of custom drivers. Indeed, Microsoft and Valve are quite friendly these days. The Xbox bringing with Xbox bringing all of its games to Steam since Microsoft acquired Bethesda, the subsidiary announced that it's closing its own launcher and shifting all that over to Steam. Valve CEO Gabe Newell also said that they were interested in working with Microsoft to bring native support to Game Pass on of Game Pass to Steam Deck as well, which we talked about last week. While we wait for deeper integration, Microsoft and Valve are hard at work getting their games verified for SteamOS and today release an update showcasing all the games that are currently verified. The, the games in question are as follows. Deathloop, Psychonauts 2, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, The Evil Within, Fallout Sheltered, Battletoads, Max, The Curse of Brotherhood, CFDs, Fallout 4, Forza Horizon 4, and 5, Quantum Break, and State of Decay, Year One Survival Edition. Microsoft also shared a list of games that aren't supported due to the anti-cheat implementations like Gears 5, Halo Master Chief Collection, and Infinite, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Those games are sadly not yet compatible with Steam Deck, although they should run if you set up full-blown Windows on your Steam Deck. Naturally, there are dozens upon dozens of other games from Bethesda and Microsoft that aren't officially verified, but should work anyway, like Doom Eternal, Gears Tactics, Grounded, and so on. Verified games are titles that are at least likely are the least likely to give you issues, however, and others should be installed at your own risk. So in some ways, we're already having a little bit of an Xbox on the go experience with uh with that pretty robust initial lineup. Now, There's not too much to say this other than it is clear with both, I would say Xbox and Steam are both or Valve rather, Xbox and Valve are both the most kind of libertarian when it comes to the games industry about just like put everything everywhere and let the consumer choose how and where and when they want to consume. And I think I said this last week when we were talking about Steam Deck as well. It always makes sense. You see a lot of Xbox Live's best features were lifted from Steam. You see a lot of friendliness between Phil Spencer and Gabe Newell. You see a lot of people clamoring for Game Pass and Xbox support on things like Steam Deck and both companies flirting with the idea and being comfortable with it. So I don't find any of this surprising whatsoever. At the end of the day, when you are second place, when you are trying to grow brand awareness and accessibility to your games and just trying to put your products in the faces and the hands of so many people, I think... You don't play the game Sony plays, where you're like, no, 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 no. You want to play our game? Buy a PlayStation. Buy a PlayStation. Even if you're trying to get people to subscribe to Game Pass, which is, of course, what Xbox wants, you want to play the game of, listen, is playing a game from us through Steam on your Steam Deck going to be the way to finally get an Xbox game in front of your face? It's going to be the thing to make you finally try Forza Horizon or Halo or Psychonauts, whatever? Sure, do it. Because I think the, the idea and the hope is that in some way, shape, or form, it's going to lead you down the path to like, oh, this game's good. These games are good. Xbox is good. Who else can I play this? Oh, my phone? Oh, Game Pass has this? Oh, if I buy an Xbox Series X S, it's a really cheap way to get access to all this. And the hope is just by putting their brand and their shit in your face a million different ways, it will somehow, way or another, one way or another, lead you back to them in, in the place they want you the most, which is, of course, a Game Pass subscription or the sale of a console. So I, I I see that as being a pretty consumer friendly. We see Xbox being super big on the consumer friendly kind of marketing approach. And I, I see this being a a maybe a less conventional by the by the standards of the games industry, but a pretty understandable and maybe somewhat expected by pure logic kind of move for Xbox in, in just trying to get more awareness and hands on their products. So this is really cool to see those, you know, lucky if you already have a Steam Deck that these games are basically verified to work really well with your platform, and it's already a decent amount of games. So, yeah, not much more to say there, but obviously we want to continue to keep our eyes on this. I think the big news is going to be the inevitability of when Steam somehow can implement Game Pass access. I think this is less so maybe a problem for Steam and Valve because they're just so, like, laissez-faire about these things. I think this is a bigger deal for Microsoft because in order for this to really happen, they're going to have to... They're going to have to cede the territory of trying to have a really good Xbox launcher on PC because at some point it's like, dude, Steam. Steam is the answer. And I think that's what they got to figure out is how do we continue to keep making our relationship with Valve and Steam really, really robust and great, but also find a way to justify the existence of our own launcher. And I think that's kind of the struggle Microsoft is up against here. Um, And that's the thing that this whole story makes me think of the most, honestly, because everything else just seems inevitable. All right, I didn't realize we had as much news this week to get through as as we do, but um, we got two and a half, three more stories. This next one is another fun celebratory story, so let's uh, maybe share some, some goodness to the community. 2021 was a huge year for Xbox Game Studios in general, with several sizable releases throughout the year, garnering plenty of attention from critics and players alike. On Wednesday, Metacritic and aggregate critics and user review of games across the internet shared their ranking for Best Game Publishers of 2021, something they do every year, and this time around, for the first time, Xbox Game Studios ended up on top. Now, Metacritic Games Publisher Ranking compared 43 publishers in all of their respective reviews and their games that made an appearance on Metacritic in 2022. At the top of the charts is Xbox Game Studios with five separate reviewed products featuring an average Metacritic score of 87.4. This makes Xbox Game Studios the first publisher on Metacritic history to close out the year with an average score higher than an 85. Crazy! 100% of Xbox re- games, uh, sorry, 100% of Microsoft's released games were considered at least good by Metacritic standards. Games with Metacritic score of at least 75 or higher, with three of those titles being considered great, which means a Metacritic score of at least 90 or higher, including Forza Horizon 5, Psychonauts 2, and Microsoft Flight Simulator on Xbox. Halo Infinite also reviewed excellently, but just missed the great moniker uh, uh, with a score of an 87. Microsoft beat out Sony for the number one spot, which came in second place with an average score of 81.3, with only Destruction All-Stars preventing Sony from ending the year with a 100% good games score. Activision Blizzard surprisingly closed out the year in fourth place, despite the ongoing controversies at Activision Blizzard and and before Xbox's acquisition of the company is finalized. Bethesda Softworks, which is already a member of Xbox, publish uh, but publishes its own games independently from Xbox, ended the year in fifth place with strong releases, several strong releases. So this is a uh, this is quite impressive and quite exciting for Xbox because they never get included with this shit. Like historically, this stuff's usually reserved for like Nintendo and Sony. But um, congrats to Xbox on this. This is actually great. Now I will say these numbers are a little bit like skewed. Just because, well, one, surprisingly, Xbox just had a lot of first party content last year, which I guess could maybe expose them to more risk of being lower scored because the more games you have, the more opportunity there is for a couple things to be duds, even if some things are great. But they had a lot of games out and in a year where Sony actually didn't have that many games out. And also, as mentioned here, Destruction All-Stars over on, on PlayStation was seen as quite a dud, so obviously that holds Sony down quite a bit as it mentions, without that, Sony's score would be significantly higher. So probably wouldn't be the same conversation without, you know, this just being a happenstance of Xbox just happened to put out some pretty high quality games that year and Sony for once just happened to really fumble with a particularly not great game. So really that's kind of the differentiation differentiating factor. So in a way it kinda of seems like a technicality, but at the same time we're reviewing publishers based on you know, we're comparing publishers based on their games released in that year and how they scored and Destruction All-Stars is a PlayStation game and, you know, Flight Simulator and Halo and Forza and Psychonauts and all these games that did really, really well. These are Xbox games, even though Psychonauts 2 is a game that was largely developed separately, independently from being an Xbox-owned studio. Um, still, Xbox-owned thing, even though it is on other platforms. So, a couple of, like, little, like, eh, asterisks and technicalities, maybe. But this is, this is exciting. Xbox never kind of wins these awards. In fact, Sony, I thought, like, didn't they say, like, I read somewhere it was like Nintendo was like number 14 or something, which is really unusual because they're usually number one or top three for sure. But yeah, they just not, not so well this time. So that's great for Xbox. Obviously really exciting. I think this is a really big congratulatory moment an exciting moment for developers at various Xbox teams and for the, the leadership at Xbox because They've had to endear for so long, the Xbox has no games, PlayStation games are better kind of shit, and this is just like one example, you know, where it's like, hey, we had a lot of great games in 2021, and hey, we even on average scored better than all the other guys, and I don't know, it's it's nice to see them get this, that's a well-earned award, obviously last year was a very strong year for Xbox games, I, I played most of these games and I thought they were all quite good, so... I don't know. I'm just uh, this is just something I wanted to share as a feel good kind of moment, a moment you know, following our indictment and heavy criticism of uh, the initiative. It's just nice to maybe share a little bit of good news. All right, our last, final story before we get into like a wrap up story is uh, Private Division. I don't really know what to make of this story. This broke just before I started recording, and I'm kind of having a I don't know. Let's let's just get into it. So, Take Two Interactive publisher. P- label Private Division, which is like a sub-label of Take-Two. Take-Two are guys that own Rockstar. Uh, Private Division, they used... I actually did um, Outer Worlds with Private Division, but they usually use it for like smaller-tier or newer games or lesser-known entities or quantities. Anyway, their publishing label, Private Division, has announced that four new publishing agreements with independent developers, Daigut Fabrique, Evening Star, Piccolo Studio, and Yellow Brick Games. Future titles will be released under the Private Division label... Which has recently published games such as Roll 7's Ollie Ollie World and Xbox and PlayStation's versions of Hades. In a press statement, Take Two announced that while all four developers have games in development, the first of these titles is not expected to launch until fiscal year 2024 for the company. At Private Division, we champion the best creative talent in the games industry, and said the label's head and executive vice president, Michael Wars. Wars. And these four teams are experienced with building rep- uh, a represent an array of genres that will appeal to many different gamers and audience. All four of these teams have their own wildly diverse creative visions and are thrilled to introduce their games into the world. Evening star, which was founded in 2018 has an office in LA and London and Melbourne is known for their work on Sonic mania plus for Sega. They currently work on an unannounced 3d action platformer using the proprietary star engine. We are focused on leveraging teams, unique backgrounds and aim to develop electrifying experiences charged with our signature sense of style said CEO Dave Padilla. Private Division has been a fantastic partner and the team is equally passionate about our vision as we grow the studio. We are excited to learn more about the new world we are creating. Spanish developer Pico Studio was founded in 2015 by Alexis Corominas, Jordi Mistral, and Oriol Jujado. The developers known for its debut title Arise a simple story, the team is currently developing a new IP. Copenhagen-based Die Gut Fabrik was founded in 2008 by Niels Denikin and is now led by CEO Creative Director hanek Nicklin, who's best known for the 2019 IGF winner Mutation, which I've never heard of, Nicklin said the new agreement, quote, we're so thrilled about the next story-driven adventure game that the team brought together to create, and we can't wait to share more down the line. And finally, Canadian-based Yellowbird Games was founded by Thomas Guro and Mike Laidlaw, Jeff Skalski, and Frederick St. Laurent B., veterans of such franchises as Dragon Age's Assassin's Creed, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. The team's currently developing what it calls an ambitious new RPG. So, obviously this is what Private Division has always done. They actually did um, disintegration, the Marcus Leto led game that kind of came and went and bombed in 2020 that I quite enjoyed. Um and they usually work with some smaller to medium tier games and developers and as I said the top lesser known entities. And so this this in of itself isn't isn't too surprising. It's like okay, they're looking for new like you know, new games to to publish. But the thing is, these are more indie than what they normally work with. and I feel like there is like a kind of a courting deal here. I can't help but see that that maybe what they're doing is kind of something similar like what PlayStation does, which is like, hey, let's find these new, let's scout some new talent. Let's go make some games with them. kind of see how that relationship goes. And if we really like what they're doing, maybe we can extend an offer to acquire these studios because, take two is in a situation right now where they're really trying to get aggressive about consolidation as well just like everyone is mostly and i can't help but feel like they're looking around and maybe feeling a little bit of burn from outer worlds with obsidian that xbox bought them right as that game was about to launch that game did quite well for them and they were like a little dumbfounded that they wouldn't be able to work on a sequel now because it's an xbox team and i feel like they're seeing things like that and they're like you know what we need to get a little more aggressive about this so let's scout some talent let's work with some lesser known developers get some you know, more budget-friendly titles out there, more budget-conscious titles out there. You know, not everything needs to be a Grand Theft Auto like they do with Rockstar. And maybe just see if they can use this as a way to, like, fish around for talent. Find where the talent lies, buy that team, work with that team more. Because as we've been mentioning for the past few weeks, the industry's consolidating, the industry's also expanding a lot in terms of opportunities and roles opening up, and high-quality talent is being gobbled up. And so I feel like the next... You know, when all the good talent is gobbled up or all the known talent, rather, I feel like the other or the next logical step is to try and court the indie scene to find out who's the next up and coming developer, who's the next, who's the next author, or the next director or the next, you know, producer, you know, where, where's your next guy who's going to be known in the industry? The next guy is going to make the next Grand Theft Auto or the next Apex Legends or the next whatever and i i feel like you know we we saw private division or take two rather being really hungry with wanting codemasters and their fight with ea to get them and eventually ea got them and and them losing on that too i and now i feel like take two needs to be a little bit on a defensive move where they're like okay let's try to build these relationships before other people can get to them find the talent and acquire it while it's on the cheap and see if we can use it to cultivate and build within our next big thing. And I don't know why, but I, keep, I just keep thinking about that when I think about this. It could be just as simple as they're working with some smaller indie teams to publish some smaller indie games to work with their smaller indie publishing label. Possible. But I can't help but feel like everything now is about acquiring, getting bigger, finding talent, milking the next big thing. And this is an opportunity to kind of test the waters with a bunch of different up-and-coming developers or, you know, newer developers with high potential. And uh, you see that they're kind of running the gamut of developers around the world with the with these four teams and with some serious talent behind them, some serious, you know, work under some of these guys' belts despite being smaller teams. And I just feel like the intention is clear um, in that regard. So that's that's my takeaway from this. I'm really excited to see what evening star is working on because oh boy they're working on an action 3D platformer and they've worked on Sonic in the past and oh boy. But yeah that's that's kind of my read on this situation. Um it could be an entire over analysis, but I just feel like that's you know, after everything that happened with Outer World and with Codemasters, I feel like Take Two's gotta be a little more savvy about how to find their next talent, you know? All right, and now we're going to wrap up the news with our final story of the week, and this is just your Game Pass update. So from the Xbox Wire, we have a new list of games coming to Game Pass, leaving Game Pass, so we'll just go through it real quick. From the coming soon, on March 17th, we're getting Shredders and Dungeons of Nebula, whatever the fuck that is, the Amulet of Chaos. These are all cloud console PC games, ID at Xbox games, coming March 17th. Tainted Grail Conquest comes to console on March 22nd. Also on March 22nd on cloud console and PC, we get Zero Escape, the nonary games. Norco comes to PC on March 24th and it's available day one with PC Game Pass. Also on March 24th, F1 2021 comes to console via EA Play. Crusader Kings 3 comes to Series X and S on March 29th. It is available day one with uh, PC Game Pass and coming soon to Series S. Weird West comes to Xbox Cloud and PC on March 31st and is available day one with Game Pass. And then leaving Game Pass, uh, we got two dates here. On March 31st, Madden NFL 20 leaves Cloud Console PC through EA Play. Narita Boy leaves Cloud Console and PC. That's a little soon for that one, I feel like. And Shadow Warrior 2 leaves Cloud Console and PC. Fuck, I wanted to play that. And then April 11th, this is the real kicker, Destiny 2, Beyond Light, Shadowkeep, and Forsaken, all three expansions are leaving PC. They already left console, so say goodbye to that. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. A little longer than I thought. I don't know why I thought it was a lighter news week than that, but whatever, it's good. It's good talk, good time. Guys, let's real quick wrap up with some important enough news stories. These are stories important enough that they make it into the podcast, but not quite important enough that they warrant their own discussion of which we have a few. So real quick, VGC reports that a new update video for Overwatch 2 has been released and game director Aaron Keller has announced a closed alpha for the game as well as a new hero. In the update video, they assure fans of the development trouble of the sequel um, and that the team has been conducting steps to um, address this with daily play tests and feedback giving us confident confidence that we're creating something that you're going to love. Quote. The alpha game will be open to Blizzard employees and Overwatch League pros as soon as they get ready for next season, but the update is also going to have a separate PvE element for the traditional multiplayer suite of Overwatch context. The first closed PvP beta, though, will launch in late April. According to the update, players interested in participating can go to playoverwatch.com and sign up. And uh, Activision also did confirm that Overwatch 2 has more than likely been delayed till at least 2023, so... At least you get to play some form of it soon, but uh, it's going to be a while until we get that game. Next, VGC reports, Konami's updated its Japanese trademarks for a handful of its properties, including Silent Hill, as spotted by a Reddit user. The Western margin of Tokimeki Memorial trademarks were published by Japanese patent office on March 15th, and the Silent Hill trademark covers the game software as well as a headset for virtual reality and numerous non-related game goods and services. So Silent Hill, probably make it a comeback. Sniper Elite 5 has been confirmed for with a release date. Developer Rebellion confirmed the game will release on May 26, 2022, and it's coming to Xbox One, series consoles, and PC. It will be available on Game Pass Day 1. Next up, Konami has also announced a new retro compilation celebrating the 80s and 90s era of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games. THB Ninja Turtles, the Kawabunga collection consists of 13 separate games covering releases on arcade, SNES, NES, Mega Drive, and Genesis, and Game Boy. Now, some of these games are duplicate games just from different platforms, but uh, the compilation is being developed by Digital Eclipse and will include a number of quality of life features aimed at modern players, including save states and point in button mapping. The full list of titles is TMNT Arcade, TMNT Turtles in Time Arcade, TMNT NES. TMNT 2, The Arcade Game, NES. TMNT 3, Manhattan Project, NES. TMNT Tournament Fighters, NES. (laughs) TMNT 4, Turtles in Time, for the SNES. TMNT Tournament Fighters, SNES. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hyper Stone Heist, Mega Drive and Genesis version. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Tournament Fighters, Mega Drive and Genesis. Fall of Foot Clan, Game Boy. TMNT 2, Back from the Sewers, Game Boy. And finally... TMNT 3 Radical Rescue for Game Boy and our penultimate quick news story here comes from Windows Central and reads that Gamescom is currently planned to return to a physical in-person event this summer. This marks the departure this marked its departure for the past two years which saw fully digital events for the past few years and according to the press release Gamescom 2022 will use new hygiene and safety concepts to ensure better safety for attendees while the focus is on large-scale in-person event the digital program's aren't being removed with the return of opening night live at gamescom there's n- no date just yet but expect that jeff Keighley, creator and host of game awards and summer game fest will return to the open night live at gamescom and finally VGC reports the xbox series consoles monthly sales in europe or higher than the ps5 for the first time in the month of february according to gsd market report published by games Industry. Biz, shows that the xbox series consoles were sold in europe more than the PS5 consoles. The data covers 10 countries in mainland Europe, does not include UK or Germany. However, BGC understands that Series X and S also outsold PS5 in the UK in February. As noted, this has been the case due to current gen system launches in November 2020. Stock has practically been selling as fast as it's been arriving. So pretty impressive. But of course, as we know, that's largely due to availability of the Series S over most other consoles, but nonetheless still very impressive. Good for Xbox, of course. Guys, it's going to do for all of our news this week. Let's round out the podcast with a couple of reminders. We've got new game releases of the week. There are 12 new titles to go over this week, and then as well as Games of Gold for the new games coming out. Grand Theft Auto V is now officially out on Series X and S. You can get it now. It's only 20 bucks to upgrade for a limited time if you already have it on all the other millions of platforms it's been released on for the past 50 years. The Moose Man is coming to Series X and S. It's available now. It's optimized for new consoles, and I don't know why because the a 2D side-scrolling art game. Phantom Breaker Omania comes out March 15th. There's an anime guy with an eye patch and a bunny, so he's either a Playboy or a Bad Bunny fan, and I don't care to know which. Paradise Killer comes out March 16th, and there's a bunch of anime people pointing at the screen, and it looks like an 80s logo, and there's a skeleton with its arms open for some reason. Tunic comes out March 16th. Surprise, surprise, is obviously a love letter to Zelda because the guy literally is dressed like Link, but he's a fox. The Wanderer, Frankenstein's Creature, comes March 16th, and it's just a really pretty picture of a landscape with some sun setting in the background. I don't know what that's about. Word Breaker by Paugi comes March 16th. Not available in Japan. They made that a note in the title. Not available in Japan. I hope they put that on the box for this game. I hope it gets a physical release and just says, Word Breaker, and then in parentheses, not available in Japan. Just so the Japanese know that they can't handle this game. Royal Frontier comes out March 17th. Looks kind of like a... Fire Emblem or one of those kinds of games. Monster Energy Supercross 5, March 17th. Optimized for new consoles. Smart delivery. I've always wanted to try one of these. Have you guys ever played any of these? These kind of look fun, but I don't want to spend money on one. Shredders comes to March it comes out March 17th. It's on Xbox Game Pass and it is a snowboarding game. I don't know if it's Arcadey or not, but if it is, I want to give it a try. And then finally, not finally, Strangers of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin comes out March 18th, optimized for the new console. a smart delivery title. People really uh, cringing at this game a little bit, but I think it kind of looks like fun from a gameplay perspective. Maybe I'll play it. It does have a uh, demo version, so maybe I'll try that out. I don't know. I really want to play Final Fantasy VII Remake, but Scranix refuses to put it on, on Xbox, so fuck me. And then finally, Who Pressed Mute on Uncle Marcus comes out March 18th. It's one of those weird, like... Uh, VOD sim type story games and um I hope the acting is cringe because it makes them fun that way. Guys, that's all of our new game releases for the week. And now let's finish out the podcast by reminding you of games of gold. For the rest of the month, you got the flame of the flood available. You got from now until April 15th, Street Power Soccer. So download that. It's a new one on there. And then SpongeBob Truth or Square is available until the end of the month. It's an Xbox 360 game. If you don't download it, you're not even a real '90s kid, and uh, I know you wouldn't want to be accused of that, now would you? But guys, here we are, over two hours into the episode, and I think we'll call it a I think we'll call it a day there. So, guys, I want to thank you as always for supporting the show. Please be sure to leave comments; it does help with the engagement and funness of the show. Please subscribe on. Podcast services, leave nice reviews if you haven't already done so. And uh, keep up with me by following me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. As always, guys, we do Twitch streams every Monday night on Twitch.tv slash Lightning stream. Having lots of fun over there. I got my Xbox going again. So we're going to be play some Crossfire X, which I know many of you don't care about. But boy, oh boy, am I excited for it. So be sure to tune in, chat with us. We get a little, little naughty on the uh, chat sometimes. So it might be fun to stop by. But this week, that is going to do it for us, guys. Thank you so much, as always, and hopefully, we'll see you again next week. Until then, how are you, June?